Joshua 23, beginning with verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep And to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Amen. This is the word of the living God. It was Woody Guthrie who said the following quote, the times, they are changing. Yet the human heart has not. The dangers the people of old, that the people of old faced, the threats to their life and liberty in the land of Promise are really the same dangers believers continue to face today. One commentator introducing this entire chapter, he begins by asking this question. He asks you this question. How can you, how can I face the onslaught of a wicked world? 
When you take a new, uh, when you take a look around and you, you see the constant and relentless effort of the evil one to lure you away from the true and living God, you may be tempted to become moral relativists, denying that there's any absolute truth. You may be tempted to cave into the moral debasement of the world. The moral fabric of our society is indeed degenerating at an alarming rate. You live in a culture that is hostile to the gospel and to Christ. Each day you were reminded, aren't you, that as Christians, you're bigots, maybe homophobic, and a host of other labels that don't feel very good. How will you then remain faithful in a faithless and godless world? Joshua helps God's people in this chapter through a sermon, and indeed that's really what it is. It's a sermon. It's one of the last things Joshua will ever say uh, to these people that he has led faithfully for so many years. He reminds the people, he tells them, he reminds them that they can, we can, remain faithful because they just because we just like them serve a faithful God. The context here is as I've already mentioned. Joshua is about to leave, as the text tells us, he's about to go the way of all the earth. That is simply to say that he's about to die. He's about to leave the world to go to the God he has served faithfully for many years. Obviously, and most clearly, these matters are then of extreme importance. For they are the last things you'll ever get to say. They're the last things he does say to a people that need to be reminded that what they are doing and where they live is not all that, all that pleasing at times, a world that is filled with animosity to the God of heaven. And so I'm going to show you this evening through this narrative as we weave in and out of it, I want to show you that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. I'm going to show you that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. Therefore, as a child of this faithful God, you are to be faithful to him. How is it you're going to sustain the world in which you live? How are you going to make it to the end? You're going to make it there because of the faithfulness of God. Therefore, then, you must be faithful to him as you continue this journey towards your heavenly rest. Two points as we consider this chapter. Thankful for some of the structure of one commentary I've already quoted from him. But highlights for us very much the theme, really of Joshua, but really the theme of the Christian experience. This is it. How are we ever going to cross the line in a world that is so antagonistic to God and his people. Well, here it is. You want to know? This is the answer. But first, consider the faithfulness of God demonstrated. Faithfulness of God demonstrated 
to the people of old, but indeed to us as well. And then the faithfulness of men demanded. The faithfulness of God demonstrated the proof, the evidences of that, and then the faithfulness of men demanded as a result of God's faithfulness to us. Let's first consider the faithfulness of God demonstrated. Well, there's a description right in the beginning of this chapter. There's a description of the issue that is at hand. I've already mentioned it more than once, and I'm not a big fan of repeating myself often in the pulpit, but here it's important to do so. This is the second of three assemblies that Joshua demands of the people. There in verse 2, we note that he calls all, the, all Israel, that is to say all the people of Israel, however many that is. Imagine that worship service. Bet you the singing was pretty good. Its elders, its heads, its judges, its officers. He calls them together in a holy convocation. He brings them to himself that he might speak to them. He might preach to them. The first one we saw already in chapter 22 in There in verse 1, as Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And of course, the last one we'll consider next week, Lord willing. We'll consider chapter 24, the final sermon that Joshua gives to the people of God. The purpose of summoning the people is to give final instructions. Much in the same way that you might do as you face your death, as you are on your deathbed. Maybe some of you have had this experience with family or friends that have, are about to leave the world. They, they have one last thing. They're able to get out of their mouth before they go the way of all the earth. And they're not going to just say anything, are they? They're going to hopefully say, they ought to say, they probably said something of extreme importance And maybe you remember, if you had that experience, you remember it even to this day. This is much the same sense in which Joshua here has as his task. He could tell them anything. Many different things he could have said and communicated. Many many of them may be good and (coughs) right. And no, he chooses carefully, doesn't he? Something of encouragement to the people. Because he knows the difficulties they will face as they continue on as a people, as a church of God. These instructions, as we note from their history, will not be obeyed, of course, to their own peril. We, we know the end of the story, don't we? We know what's going to happen. We get into the Judges, not too many years after the close of the book of Joshua. We get into the Judges. We see the ups and downs of the people, much like our ups and downs as a church. Uh, But we go further into the history, and it wasn't all that long after, in which all the things that Joshua here warns the people about and tells them not to do, they do. They intermarry, they give themselves over to idolatry and to the false gods of the land. They, they, They violate God's Sabbath and His Sabbaths. They do a host of things that profane the very nature of God's faithfulness, and they suffer the due consequence of it as a result. And thus, um, the southern kingdom in 586 B.C. is carried away in 722 B.C. Before them, the northern kingdom is carried away into an act of discipline of God. But he never forgets them. Even then, he remembers that he is faithful. Oh, no, they're not. 
but he is. And even then, he maintains his covenant faithfulness to the people. Joshua wants to remind them of God's faithfulness by reviewing for them. Again, I know we reviewed it many times, but if Joshua can review it, then ought we ought not we review it because we often we forget. It is a good idea, isn't it, as families often to sit in family worship and to review the faithfulness of God for your family, the ways in which he has watched over you, cared for you uh, on a regular daily basis. But there's those, those marks along the way as families in which you can look back and you can say God was guiding our steps. We did not know whether we should go left or right here, but he was faithful to guide and direct us. And look where we are now because of his goodness, not our own. Many of us can... Give testimony to that truth in which he preserved you, not because of you necessarily, because of your choices, but frankly, in spite of them. So Joshua reviews God's faithfulness with the people. They've witnessed it. He says as much in verse 3, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. I don't know if you noticed, as I was reading, I tried to emphasize it. It's not always easy to do that, to underscore some salient, important elements within the text itself. But if you notice how many times Joshua makes reference to the fact that the Lord, your God, note the pronoun, the Lord, your God, fought for you. The Lord, your God, worked for you. The Lord, your God, was faithful to you. It's all over this chapter. Joshua reminds them of the number of times in which God has been kind to them. He says it again in verses 9 and 10. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you, think of this. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. One against a thousand. Those are not good odds. I don't care what you're carrying. I don't care what you know, those are not good odds. One man puts to flight a thousand since since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. The people have seen this time and time again. These people here in front of Joshua as he's preaching this sermon, they have witnessed it. They've been part of it. Many of them have engaged in battle to take the land that God promised all the way back in the opening chapter of the book to give to the people. They've been part of this labor, this work, but all of it was because of God's faithfulness, God's work, God's kindness to them. They've witnessed all of these things. Before them, even the generations that preceded them, Joshua could have just as easily appealed to the the promise of Abraham to give to them a land that they are now in. How God in his kindness delivered a people from Egypt after 430 years of bondage brought them out with a mighty hand as he fought for them. Delivered them safely across the Red Sea. Gave to them manna in the wilderness, the bread from heaven. Gave them water from the rock that they might not die of thirst brought them to himself at Sinai, caused them to worship him, gave him his law that they might know who he is, that they are worshiping. 
met with them, as he condescended to them in that tabernacle, all of these, Joshua could have appealed to all of these things, all of them highlight the constant, continual faithfulness of God to be faithful to a people, even though, even though they were often very unfaithful, hard-headed, stiff-necked, rebellious, prone to wander. Sound familiar? That's us. We are often that way. Joshua calls them to witness and highlights for them the events that the people in this immediate context saw with their own eyes, the taking of the nation, the people who were driven out by the Lord's own doing. Undoubtedly, Joshua remembers the words of his predecessor. A good student, Joshua, he listened. As he apprenticed under the hand of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, we read there, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's almost as though Pharaoh, uh, Joseph here is repeating the very sermon that Moses gives to the people of old before they crossed into the promised land. He remembers the words, the things that have happened, the faithfulness of God to them. And to him, and reminds them of these things, the driving out of the people, the taking of the nation, the constant care and protection of the God of heaven, the constant fulfillment of God's promises. Not one word has failed, even as he tells them very candidly, not only in this sermon, but in the one before it in chapter 22, not a single word has failed. Everything that God has promised to do he has done. Nothing has been left undone. All that the Lord said he would do, and he did. Even in Lamentations chapter 3, a chapter undoubtedly that many of us have turned to in times of struggle and frustration, you might be surprised to know that this was not a pleasant time in the life of Jeremiah who wrote these words. The structure of the book is rather unique. It's somewhat different from many other books of the Bible. It's five chapters. The first two chapters have 22 verses. The third chapter sits in the center, has 66 verses, three times as many. And then the last two chapters go back to the 22-verse system. What does that tell us about Lamentations? It tells us that this third chapter is pivotal in the life of a man, Jeremiah, who was lamenting. Burdened, weary by the world, by the things of the world, more to the point by the defeats of God's people at the hands of the enemy because they have turned away from him. But look what he says. He's not giving up hope. He's about to give up hope. But in Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 19 through 23, we read those words that we all know too well. Listen to the man's heart. Remember, he says, my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. He's in misery. 
It's bowed down within me. But this, this I call to mind. How is it you're going to survive the world? How is it you're going to go work through the difficulties of this life? How is it it's going to ever happen when you just feel like giving up and throwing in the towel and saying, I'm done with this mess. It's not working. I'm over it. Because that's where Jeremiah was. But this I call to mind, he says, and therefore I have hope. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. God has demonstrated this time and again to the people in times of hardship, in times of plenty, in times of want. He has proven to them that He is faithful. His faithfulness, therefore, then does not depend upon the people. It depends upon him who is indeed faithful. And so, as a result of the undying love and faithfulness of Jehovah, the people were joyful benefactors of the Lord's provision for them. Note verse 4. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with the nations, all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the West. We noted this already. We don't need to spend a lot of time here, but they were. They, they are benefactors of the faithfulness of God. They have inherited from God, from his own hand, this place in which he has promised long ago, a land, a land of promise. How is it you're going to make it across the finish line? Try harder. Work harder. Do better. No, you'll get there due to the faithfulness of God. How is it they crossed the Red Sea, the faithfulness of God? How is it they were able to get across the Jordan River, the faithfulness of God? Did they part the Red Sea? No, they did not. Did they part the Jordan? No, they did not. How are you ever going to enter the new heavens and the new earth? The faithfulness of God. Just like the people of old and the church of old You are not worthy of the least of God's mercies and faithfulness. You're not, I'm not, none of us are. It ceases to be grace if we are. We are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. and We are not worthy of the least of His faithfulness. There is none righteous, no, not one. Yet, yet, we today, in a picture, in a snapshot, even on the Lord's Day, we enjoy the benefits and the bounty of the faithfulness of the God of heaven, who has placed His eternal love upon His people, who He chose and determined to redeem. Every time we gather in this place and worship, it, it is not because the Lord needs your worship. Remember what Moses told the people. It wasn't because you were greater in number than all the nations around. It wasn't because you were so attractive and beautiful. It was because I want to show my beauty, my greatness, my faithfulness, my love, my care. I want to show you who I am to an undeserving lot of people. And that's what he's done. And every time we come into this place, it's not because the Lord needs us to do anything for him. But yet as we come... Due to his faithfulness to us, we are blessed, you are blessed by his presence, his word, his undying expressions of love for you. If you hear the word of God read, and especially as it is proclaimed every single time, you are hearing, even when he chastises, even when he rebukes, 
even when he has to discipline, even in those times, he is showing to his people his faithfulness to them because he is a faithful God. He is proving it and has proven it. As you, as chosen people, as the Bible plainly tells us, the apple of his eye, look at what the Lord has done for his people here in Joshua, and greater things will he do, and he is indeed done in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greater Joshua, who parted the Jordan River and stood in it in your place, who labored and worked faithfully day after day in a world that hated him and killed him, Why did he do all of that? Because he was faithful. Why did he do that? Because he loved his people. He loved his own. He loved them to the end. He knew who he was coming to claim. He was faithful to the end. He would not be deterred. Why? Because the God of heaven is faithful always to his promises. You are the benefactor. You are the beneficiary of the very work of a faithful Savior, a faithful God, to rescue you. Some applications that naturally flow, I think, out of this sermon that Joshua preaches in this 23rd chapter. Note the order. The order in this chapter is extremely important. Joshua begins right where he should. No works righteousness here. He's going to command them. He's going to give to them the the mandates of the gospel. He's going to get to that. But where does he begin? He begins with the hope of the gospel. He begins with the God who is faithful. He begins really with the message of the gospel. And that is you are incapable of and unworthy of this God, but he has been faithful to you. He begins where he should begin. A God who was faithful to you long before he called you to be faithful to him. When you were still dead in your sin, God, out of his great love for you, made you alive. He seated you in the heavenly places. He calls you his child. He lavishes you with inexpressible love. God loved you before you loved him. Now, as a child, he calls you to be faithful to him. I remember not a very happy time in my ministerial life anyway. Very difficult time. Hard. Words cannot express. There's probably only one person in this room other than me that knows the hardship of that year and a half. But I remember reminding my elders, at least the ones that were standing with me, to be faithful. You be faithful to the God who is faithful to you. What does God ask of his people in light of all that he has given to them? Be faithful to him. Be faithful to what he says. Long for those great words from the Savior himself as he says to you on that great day, welcome, uh, well done, thou good and Wonderful preacher of the gospel. Nope. Well done, thou good and great giver of money to the church. Nope. Well done, thou great deacon and elder. Nope. 
Well done, a good and faithful servant. There is not a single person in this church, no one, who has been, has been rescued by the faithfulness of God that is not called then therefore. In response to his faithfulness to be faithful to him. You think of the many ways in which God has been faithful to this church as a particular body of believers. I remember fondly, well, I don't know if fondly is the right word, but I remember, anyway, the words of the search committee as they were looking for a new pastor. It gave me pause momentarily. I like challenges. But they said to me, I don't remember who it was that said it, but I remember it being said that Presbyterian churches don't do all so well in this city. There's not been much success with strongly conservative Presbyterian churches in Evansville. I remember the words. Hmm. We're still here. I don't know how many years it's been, 10, 11. One or two of you could probably give the exact number of years, but think about it. You who have been here almost from the beginning, has God been faithful to this church? Has he provided, even in those times of being like a wanderer, like the children of Israel, going from building to building and rental situation to rental situation, has God not been faithful to this congregation? Has he not been faithful to you? What did you do? God provides. He's kept providing. You never, as far as I know, worshipped in the field somewhere in the rain. He's given you a building that certainly needs work. Keeps us dependent on him. He didn't give us a cathedral. He gave us a place that we might build it to his glory and walk in dependence upon him, trusting his faithfulness to us. He's grown this congregation. When I first came to this church, there was roughly 40 some odd people in worship. And now on the best Sunday, the best Lord's Day, if everybody who should be here is here, we would have upwards of 95 in three years. God has been faithful. Not due to the ministry of this pastor or the elders or the deacons of this church. It is due to the faithfulness of Christ. Period. And that is the only thing we need to worry about. And we look to him then therefore. Spiritually, he's blessed us in many different ways. We've seen confessions of, uh, we've seen professions of faith made by our covenant children. We've seen new people come. We've seen many different things occur. You tell me that God hasn't been faithful to us. He has been. And He will continue to be so. What should we do? Well, we should respond, and therefore, the faithfulness of God demands from us, His people, faithfulness to Him. It'll fail. It'll not be like His. It will waver. It'll go up and down. That's the Christian life. But Joshua, in the right order of things in this sermon, appeals by exhortation to the people of God of old that they must then therefore be faithful to this God who's been faithful to them. After he has demonstrated quite clearly in this sermon, we note that we are called to faithfulness as we walk with Christ. It is the proper response. Indeed, it's the only response. We must be faithful as a redeemed child of God, to our faithful God who has saved us. What are these exhortations? Well, 
Joshua gives them to us. The first one we find in verse 6, therefore be very strong. Note that therefore, as a result of, because of, because of what? Because of the things the Lord your God has done, as he mentioned already. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left. Jesus picks this up, of course, in his Sermon on the Mount when he talks about that narrow road that we are to walk. We are not to walk to the left of that road. We are not to walk to the right of the road. What is the road that leads to the way of life? The book of the law of Moses. All that God has commanded us. That faithful God who gives to us these things, not to make our lives miserable, but to keep us and hem us in that we might not fall into a ditch and be eternally lost. Be faithful to God's law. Be obedient to the word of God, all of it, all of it, all ten commandments, not nine, not five, if you choose to eliminate five, ten, there's ten, we keep them, we strive through all the means that the faithful God who saved you gives to you to do them. That means we're here in worship. And we might hear about this faithful God and that which he tells us. Our, our catechism tells us that what the scriptures principally teach. What man must believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. If we know this faithful God, if we are his people, his children, then what? Then we respond in faithfulness to him. That's natural. How repugnant it must be to his nostrils to see a child that he has rescued be unfaithful to him. Joshua says to the people, you be faithful to God. You be faithful to him. Look what he's done for you. Is it too much to ask, really, that you walk according to his commands? Paul picks up this very same theme in Romans chapter 12, and he says it's your reasonable service. Second, not only does he say to be faithful to God's law, he says be faithful to maintain holiness, verses 7 and 8. It does this by appealing to a very specific issue, one that they did not keep themselves from, and it led to great tragedy. What's he say? Well, don't mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Gee, what com- I'm, I'm sorry, what command is that? What part of the law is this? But you s- shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Live holy lives. It's not likely, but it's possible, I guess. There were intermingle with the nations and marriage, but it's possible. I trust you would not do that, marry an unbeliever, someone who might turn your heart, children, from the Lord who's been faithful to you. There was a man, a very wise man, Didn't always behave very wisely. He did that. Split the nation right in half. He intermingled. 
he blended worship of the true God with his own ways in theirs. It's a call to holiness. You and I live in a fallen world. There's no getting around it. I don't think I have to stand up here and argue it. I think it's obvious, isn't it? And the awful reality that ungodliness is always before us. Look in the mirror. It's there. It's on the TV. It's in the newspapers. It dwells in your neighbors and others you come into contact with. with. Filth is all around. It was the same for the people of old. There's nothing new under the sun. The same struggles you had, they had. They just looked different. The call was still to them to be faithful to this God, to walk according to his law, to maintain holiness in their lives. You must be faithful to walk in the ways of the Lord, to strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Frankly, if holiness is not your priority, and it doesn't matter how old you are, five or 55 or 105, If holiness is not your priority, then I doubt seriously that you know this faithful God. You must strive in response to the faithfulness of God to live holy lives before Him, to love Him, third. Joshua appeals to this in verses 11 and 12. It's the summation of the entirety of the law. It doesn't surprise me, frankly, that he would use these very words. They're almost identical to the words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the very Shema of Israel, which Joshua heard as Moses gave them. Verse 11, be be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. To love him. The first and greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you? I didn't ask about your perfection. Because I don't love God perfectly. I'd like to. Someday I will. Someday you will. But do you want to? Do you pray for an increase of affection for the Savior and love for Him, for all that He has done, for His faithfulness? We fall short of that demand. They fell short of that demand. We cannot outlove God. Yet we are commanded to do so nonetheless. Do you mourn the fact and the reality that you cannot love Him as you ought? I've reminded you of this many times. I'm going to remind you once again. You should pray, Lord, give me what you command. You have commanded. You have said that I'm to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I didn't write it, you did. You said it, you commanded it. Give me what you command me. I want that. And I'm going to fall short because I'm just a creature of dust. It's up to you. You must give me your spirit. You who are faithful, give me your spirit that I might love you as I ought. The people are charged, they're commanded indeed to love this God. And how do you do that? Well, our Savior has told us very simply what that looks like. Which bounces us right back to the first way of expression, and that is to be obedient to that which he has said. 
Jesus himself said it. If you love me, you will do what I tell you. Look, I know it's not always easy to do what God tells you. I used to live out, I used to work out there every day. I know what it's like, the pressures, the people, the not, not belonging because you're one of those weirdo Jesus people, being left out of conversations and circumstances, being passed over for promotion, marginalized, considered strange. You love the Lord your God. You hold on to him for one in God make a majority. The world itself is insane. You stay with the path of life. Go left or right. Don't blend the two together. Be focused upon the God of heaven. Joshua warns them here and One commentator so plainly highlights it for us when he really draws out the warning to the church. Remember, it's the visible church. It's the people who have been circumcised. It's the people who have enjoyed the visible benefits of God's faithfulness. But what about the invisible church? What about those that are only known to him, to the God of heaven? Well, Joshua issues a warning to the visible church. First, it comes in the form of discipline. Look, we're not to be repulsed by the times in which God chastises, rebukes, exhorts his people, sometimes from this pulpit. Sometimes through the process that we've considered in that dark chapter in 1 Corinthians 5. God will discipline the unfaithful among his people. Just as a parent would discipline a child for breaking the rules of the house, being unfaithful, God does too. But it's an encouragement. You might think, that's crazy. How is that encouraging? Because it means you're a son or a daughter. He just leave you to your devices and let you go your own way and see you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye now. No, no. Joshua warns them if they fail in these areas, there will be consequences. One of them is discipline. I've mentioned it already. They experienced it indeed. Both kingdoms, the southern and the northern kingdom, experienced harsh discipline. It was harsh by pagan nations. But he preserved the people, a remnant unique to him, He never quit his faithfulness to them. They experienced it all. They went through it all. But they came out the other side because they belonged to him. Some, on the other hand, were destroyed because they never belonged to him in the first place. Though God was faithful to them visibly, day unto day, to guide and direct them across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, they had never known the God of Heaven. He destroys them. Those who are the tares and the goats of His people. Every church has them. 
I don't know who they are. God does. I don't know who they are, but God does. Every church has them. That's why the gospel must be preached and proclaimed from the pulpits in every church. That it might rescue them. Joshua warns them. Verses 13 and 16. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations if they refuse to do the things that he has just exhorted them to do. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress, verse 16, the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. God has been faithful. The tares, the wheat, the goats of the the tares of the church, the goats of the church, God knows them. And he will deal with them. The pretenders, the fakers, the Christians in name only, the ones who made a profession of faith, but they had no possession of true faith. God knows you. Maybe you're that tonight. You've been coming to this church for 10 years, five years, three years, year and a half. You've heard preaching from this pulpit time and again. You've heard an appeal to the gospel time and again. I think Christ has been put in front of you often, regularly, every Lord's Day. Do you know this Savior who's faithful? Well, I know the hymns. That's great. I know the Bible. I can find Genesis and Habakkuk. That's wonderful. So can Satan. Do you know the Savior? Don't reject the offer of God's faithfulness expressed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Settle that. For those of us who know something of the faithfulness of God, we've seen it, we've witnessed it, we know it, and if all you had was the reality of the salvation rooted in Jesus Christ, you have more than enough to keep you busy for the rest of your days. Ponder anew and be in awe of how faithful he's been to you. How many times have you and I fallen flat in our face, blown it, Sometimes seriously. How many times has he been kind and faithful? You're his child. He's going to keep working with you and maturing you and growing you. And he will not grow weary of you like people do. He won't. He is faithful to the end. He calls you and I to be faithful to him. He won't abandon those he loves. Three suggestions. They all begin with R. For those of you who love that kind of thing, I try to do that sometimes, just be helpful. This is far too important to ignore. First, reflect. I'll lay down tonight on the pillow. Families, driving home. Reflect. Think about 
Say it out loud. Reflect on God's faithfulness to you, to you over the last, whatever, week, month, year, 20 years. Those of you who are married and have been married for many years, one year or many years, 35. I think I checked the other day in the directory. I, my wife and I are the second longest married people in the church. It just struck me, actually. Can't keep up with the longs. I'll never catch them. Hey? How is that possible? Other than the fact that my wife's a saint and probably should get a medal. No, it's not because she's a saint and it's not because of me. It's because of God's faithfulness. And you, if you even knew the story, you would be in awe of it. God's faithful. You can think of the number of things that God has been faithful to you. You start with the salvation that he's given you and you work from there. Just like Joshua did here. Reflect on those times. Remind yourself then, R, remind. Remind yourself of the undying love and faithfulness of your God, especially in those difficult seasons in which you saw his hand of faithfulness. He didn't give up on you. He didn't quit. Ah, there he goes again. What a knucklehead. I'm done. I'm moving on now. Nope. Remind yourself that he's not quitting You might think about quitting, but he's not going to quit. And then renew as a result of these things, as you reflect on them, as you remind yourself of them, renew your love to him for all that he has done. What has he done? Well, he's given you something that you don't even know about yet. That place that eyes not seen, ears not heard, that place... But more importantly, he's given you Christ. The conscience is assuaged. An increase of his grace to you daily. Constant reminder of his presence. Watching over you every moment of every day. Why then, therefore, would you not? What sense would it make to say to this faithful God who's been Nothing but good to you. Nah, I'm too busy for you. As you reflect and remind, you renew. Father, help me. I know I fall short of that which you call me to do. But in Christ, I am yours. Help me. Help me that I might be faithful to you because of what you have done for me. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you. The faithfulness that you have demonstrated throughout all ages. The faithfulness that has brought us here in this time, this place, in this hour. That we might again be reminded of your eternal kindness. May you help us that we might reflect upon these things. And we might turn away from those things that are distracting us from you and we might set our face forward to walk according to your ways in response to you. May we be faithful to you even as you have been faithful to us. We ask, we pray in the name of he who is the faithful one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.